Am I electronic now? It's the magic of the on button. Okay. We are continuing in John 17 as we look at Jesus praying for, for us. Praying for his disciples and as we're going to again be reminded this morning, he made it real clear. In verse 20 of John 17, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, so that all the men and women and children of the years ahead that would come to believe because of the faithful testimony of these disciples, Jesus is praying for them. And again, it's not rocket science here. That's us. That we, we get to take challenge, we get to take comfort, we get to take instruction, we get to take uh, fresh vision from the recognition. Everything we're studying here, Jesus is personally praying for you. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is Jesus' prayer for you and for me. And then part of our wisdom is, I want to comprehend the things Jesus is praying for so that I put my will, I put my choosing, I put my behavior, I put my attitudes in alignment with this prayer so that the Holy Spirit is capable of producing answer to Jesus' prayer in me. So again, I'm going to read 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And every now and then I'll, I'll let you know a little bit of the thinking behind it, behind my choosing. I was actually going to sort of skip this part because for those who were paying attention a few weeks ago, we, we discussed something of this uh, when earlier in verse 11, Jesus said, I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. So we already looked at the issue of oneness. But again, part of my, my thinking and deciding we would look at this was the recognition, if Jesus thought it was worth praying again, I bet it's worth us comprehending and studying and pondering and meditating on it again. So we're going to do that for a few minutes. So the passage that we read this morning um, that Annie read for us, go back just a couple of chapters to John chapter 15. And in verse 10, Jesus says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And we've talked about that concept plenty of times, that part of our wisdom is the recognition, I can't just tell God, I really love you, I have a warm feeling toward you, God, but I don't want to give and pay much attention to things you have to say. 
I have my own agenda. I got my own purposes. So I really, really love you, but please be quiet. Now, that doesn't work at home. That doesn't work between a husband and a wife, either direction. That doesn't work between parents or children, either direction. That doesn't work between friends. I really love you, but I don't care to hear from you. That's a relationship breaker. It damages trust. It damages connection. It destroys intimacy to say, I love you, but I don't want to listen to what you're saying. And I want to give it value. And I don't want to pay attention to what flows from understanding your heart. And so Jesus very appropriately is saying, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. It goes hand in hand. And then he gets down to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And then drop down to 17 where he repeats it again. And this is what I command you, that you love one another. So Jesus is, is making it abundantly clear, and I'm confident that everybody in the room agrees with this concept, uh, or at least every believer in the room, and that's mostly what I see as believers, that we're in agreement that loving one another is part of this whole calling to Christianity, that part of our whole calling to God and part of our whole response to God isn't that we just love Him, but that we love each other. But I, but I hope we can see a couple of deeper challenges out of this passage today. Go back to verse 20, 21, 22 in John 17. And as we've talked about before, Jesus is even saying that our love for one another and our oneness will actually convince the world who Jesus is. But then in 22, he says this, The glory which you have given me, I've given to them... That they may be one just as we are one. And as I was pondering that passage. It almost doesn't seem logically connected. Or at least to my feeble brain. It didn't seem logically connected. That God. That Jesus is saying father. I'm giving them our glory. That they may be one. And so part of, a, a big part of our growth in, in New Testament Christianity and the real thing is that you and I have committed ourselves to grow up and learn to think like God thinks about everything. So I might have a lot of ways I think about things that make sense to me. It fits the way I was raised. It reflects my mom's history maybe back for generations or my dad's history back for generations. It fits my culture. It fits my personality. I may have a whole lot of ways of thinking of things that make sense to me. And yet what Romans 12, 2 is saying is bring, bring all of your ways of thinking with this willingness that you're willing to be transformed and changed in the way you think and the details of, of your thoughts. That you and I are willing to learn to think like God about anything and everything. And again, that simple concept. If God and I don't agree, we know who's wrong. And it's not him. 
And I've, I've actually heard plenty of Christians recognize a contradiction between what they're saying or what they're believing or what they're espousing and something in Scripture. And then at least mentally and spiritually sort of shrug their shoulders with a, well, oh well, I'm still going with this. You know, Sid was talking in Sunday school this morning, and, and actually several were talking about this concept of listening to God. And this is sort of at the core of listening to God, is when God says something, I decide he's right. When God says something, I, des- I decide that his way of seeing it is the true and accurate and correct way of seeing it. So now back to this verse 22, when he says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. So part of what Jesus is saying here is the recognition, if I comprehend the glory that has been poured out on me, and then I comprehend more the glory that has been ascribed to you by the work of Jesus Christ. And you comprehend that glory for yourself and you grow in comprehending it for me. And we comprehend that glory more for each other. What Jesus is saying is that's going to instill a deeper awareness of their oneness. If they grow to comprehend who they really are in my glory, it will be easier for them to grow in, in apprehending and living an attitude of oneness. And if they skip that glory, that oneness is going to be harder. To envision and harder to maintain. So go to Ephesians 1. And I don't know if, we're, if this is going to be a real slow part of the. Part of the process here. But we're going to try it. If you go back to Ephesians 1. One of the things I like about this passage. Is that Paul in this chapter is describing a lot of really majestic and glorious things about you. Having put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so again, part of our thinking is, part of our growing in thinking is, I want to think this way about myself. But then I want to learn to think this way about you. And I want to learn to think this way about the, what I might consider the least believer. So if somebody's a believer... How old are you, David? Ten. Any, any believers in the room lower? Than, how old are you? Uh-huh. Nine. Okay, we got one lower than nine. Ten. Stephen? Uh, anybody, anybody in the room who's put their faith in Christ younger than nine? Okay. Nine. We got nine and ten. Can I ask who the oldest believer is? How much? Nine? Zion is nine? Pardon? Six. Okay, I was going to say nine. Wow. Okay, you're five. Okay, so we have a five-year-old who has prayed to receive Jesus. Uh, Okay, then. Uh, I won't ask who the oldest believer in the room is, but I know who you are. Um, But that recognition, whether it's the youngest, whether it's the oldest. And another way we could look at it is, who's been a believer? Is there anybody in the room who's been a believer for more than 60 years? 
Yeah, several. Okay. Anybody who's been a believer for less than one year? Anybody among our children or even our adults for that matter? Okay. So whether it's how old you are or how long you've been a believer, the bottom line is everything we're getting ready to look at in Ephesians is absolutely, completely accomplished and true for that believer. And again, that's already true from God's perspective. But what God is, is saying and what Jesus is praying in John 17 is that we would take on that mindset to see these things true. I don't know what that is or how to get rid of it. Okay. So we're just going to look at Ephesians 1 here for a few things. In verse 4, I, I, would, I would like to do like a really long in-depth thing, but we're just going to try to harvest. Verse 4 says, Chosen. Chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy, that we would be blameless. He predestined us to adoption as sons. He says in verse 7, I don't know why. My, my hand seems to give this thing extra instructions that I'm not giving it. Redemption. Forgiveness. We're going to say something about this. Come back and say something about this. He also goes on to say in verse 11, receiving an inheritance, all the riches of Christ, and he goes on to pray about that, that we would grow in comprehending this. An inheritance, all the riches of Christ. He talks about the fact in verse 12 that, that every believer is destined to bring glory to God. He talks about the fact that in verse 13, I have no clue why it changed colors. But I think my hand again did its own instructions. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he goes down here after he's talking in verse 18 about praying for us to understand all this. He says that we received all the power of Jesus' resurrection. And I wanted to put this list in front of us for a particular purpose. Chosen, holy, blameless, adopted as sons and daughters having received redemption and forgiveness, having been, become partakers of, of all the riches of Christ through this inheritance, predestined to bring glory to God, sealed by the Holy Spirit as His own,
and now receiving all the power of Jesus' resurrection. And, and this short list, oh, actually, I'm not done. Because then chapter 2, 4 through 10, says, made alive together with Christ and seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. And so, a big part of your spiritual growth, and this is really, really, really true, a big part of your spiritual growth and my spiritual growth is that I'm learning to see, I'm learning a vision that these things are true. So that when I face a moment of my own sin, I remember that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, I am still holy and blameless, redeemed and forgiven. I still remember that I am seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father so that I do not deceptively believe that somehow I've been separated from God by that moment of sin. And now maybe it's hopeless for me. That I'm remembering, no, I am right beside the Father. I am still in Christ. That the verbs used in this in these two chapters, powerfully nailed down the fact that this is a done deal and that now I'm learning to think that way. But here's what Jesus is praying in John 17. If Jason learns to see me that way and I learn to see Jason more that way, filled with all these glorious qualities defined by these majestic truths and we see each other more that way and we believe it, we don't just believe in a doctrine, we believe it about each other. That now we are in a stronger, wiser place to build and enjoy oneness than if we just kept going through our normal human life with normal human ways of thinking. And so this really matters. Learning to think like God in this area really matters. Now, the toughest area where, where it is to think this way is at the moment where somebody is frustrating us, disappointing us, where, where somebody is less than we think they should be or different than the way we think they should be, to still remember, but if they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, I get to keep learning to agree with God that these things remain true for them and I want to think about them that way while I'm also filled with gratitude that I can think about myself that way. Now, part of this glory thing is that that means as you look, in fact, do this. Look around. Don't say any names out loud. And just admit, well, maybe you don't want to look around because if you start staring and think, who in the room do I think of as least glorious? Is there somebody in this room that I sort of frown about when I think of them? Is there somebody in the room that when I see them coming down the hallway, I veer into a classroom to avoid them? I'm not aware of anybody in our church doing that. So I'm not, I'm not exposing somebody. But that recognition, if there's somebody that is difficult for me to relate to right here in the room in the body of Christ, that may be where I get to start my determination to grow in this vision. That I'm deciding in agreement with God. Father, if that man or woman or child or that adult or, or that brother or that sister or that relative or that stranger. If that's a source of conflict or difficulty or distance for me. 
That's where I want to start my meditation. That's where I want to start my agreement and my determination to pray for them and envision more and more how you see them will become the way I see them. And there may be other things that need to be addressed. There may be conflicts that need to be addressed. There may be forgiveness that needs to be forgiven. There may be some other challenge of difference of opinion or, or difference of doctrinal belief that gets to be talked through and worked through. But that I'm starting by an agreement with God. If you have bestowed all this glory on me and you've bestowed all this majesty on this brother or sister, I want to learn, I want to commit myself to learn to think of them that way. And again, regardless of age, regardless of their standing, regardless of their political background or their doctrinal background or, or what denomination they come from, that if they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, I am committing myself to grow in this mindset of treasuring their glory, envisioning their glory, and then treasuring that glory with gratitude because I share in that glory. And turning back to John 17. He says, the glory which you've given me, I have given to them. And again, I want to pay attention to the verbs here. He's saying, done deal. I have given it. Everyone who will put their faith in me has received the certainty of this glory. And then in 23, I in them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. And I want to look at that word perfected for a minute. So the word perfected is sort of similar to the word perfect. Um, but perfected means a whole different thing. So when we think the word perfect, it means flawless, finished. That that word means that the, the process is over. But the phrase, yes sir. To move them in that direction. That's right. It's a making process. You're exactly right. The wording here doesn't, he's not saying we're finished. He's saying I'm putting them in the process of getting that done. So that this unity thing, you and I get to recognize, Father, I'm not there yet. But I want to commit myself again. If my heart of agreement with Jesus' prayer is a wide open intentional agreement, then I get to say, Father, I am not stuck where I am. So this is a really artificial way to say it. But I'm going I'm to challenge you to, to actually answer this in your own mind. If on a 0 to 10 scale, I love 0 to 10 scales. I use them all the time in counseling. On a 0 to 10 scale, if 10 is perfect unity, like, like 50, 60 Jesuses all sitting in the room, that's a 10. And 0 obviously means no unity. Complete conflict, complete disagreement, complete rejection, complete hostility toward each other. And imagine yourself now on that 0 to 10 scale growing your sense of connection and unity to the body. Your, your sense of recognizing and enjoying the glory of other believers and then treating them that way. 
This is about growth, not condemnation. Imagine where God would put you on that 0 to 10 scale. Now, I started to say where you would put you on that scale, but I went to a wiser measure. Where do you believe God would put you on that scale? Where do I believe God would put me on that scale? And, and in humility, we might say, okay, eh, it went from about a seven to a two. Um, but wherever it is, what Jesus is praying for and what he's committing himself to in this prayer is, I don't care where you are on that scale. I want you to have this vision. I'm not staying there. If I'm a two, I am absolutely determined that this will be the year of three. If I'm a three, we're heading toward four. If I'm a seven, we're heading toward eight. That in my agreement with the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ praying for me, I am not willing to stay where I am. I want to pursue deeper oneness, deeper unity, deeper connection, deeper intimacy, deeper involvement in the body of Christ. And I just realized what time it is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up today's portion of this with a very specific request. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer about us committing ourselves to this. And I'm going to ask you, if you're willing, pray this prayer with me. Father, I agree with Jesus' prayer for my growth in unity. Father, I'm available. And I commit myself to taking better care of the body of Christ in the days ahead than in the days behind. I commit myself to seek out brothers and sisters where there is distance or conflict and find ways to reconcile and restore and build connection. Father, I commit myself to seek out where resentments or grudges have kept me stuck in unforgiveness. And I will pursue the death of Jesus Christ as a powerful reason to offer forgiveness. Jesus, I am available to you to love your body, this church, more in the days ahead than in the days past. Father, we agree on these things together. We're in the process of being perfected, but we're not there yet. And we refuse to stay where we are. We choose growth by the power and the life and the authority of Jesus Christ dwelling within us. We choose growth in oneness, growth in love, and growth in unity. Thank you that you love accomplishing this in our fellowship, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.